So that's what spurred such incredible additional research to say, hey, if this impacts so many of so millions of kids and millions of us adults walking around, how can we provide better health care, knowing that ACEs are associated with over 40 health conditions, really common ones, heart disease, stroke, cancer, ADHD, depression, anxiety, you've already named suicidality. not have opinions. Just don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. Self-love is really about self-respect and acceptance. Welcome to The Whole View. I'm Stacey Toth of Real Everything. I'm here each week to dive deeper into how we can find happiness and health inside and out through self-love, body positivity, and discovering new ways to be our best selves. This week, I'm so excited to introduce you to Sarah of the ACE Resource Network. But before we get started, a reminder, this podcast is for general education purposes and is not intended to diagnose, advise, or treat any physical or mental illness. We always recommend you consult a licensed service provider. And a warning, this week we will be talking about adverse childhood experiences that may be triggering to some listeners, though we will not go into detail. Sarah, welcome to the show, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Stacey. I'm so happy to be here. I am really excited to share more about the work that your organization is doing for awareness and help people, and I want to encourage listeners, we're going to have links in the show notes, and I'm going to be referring to numberstory.org several times throughout the show, so definitely check that out, and we'll be talking about different kinds of tools and things that will be more education and references, so all of those notes will be in the show notes on either realeverything.com or whatever podcast app you're listening to. And just to kind of like give a little bit of an explanation for those of you that aren't aware, we did talk about adverse childhood experiences on several shows previously, but it was a new concept for me. I personally heard this phrase first going through training to be a foster care parent. And once I kind of like learned about it, I was like, why is this not more widely known? And I do think that in the last few years, there's been kind of an awakening to social justice and mental health, which has put more of an awareness on it. And that's not without the efforts of Sarah, your network, ACE Resource Network, making that possible at mynumberstory.org. Um, and I'm excited that you're here to talk about that and dive deeper into it with us today. I do want to give a little bit of a primer because listeners, I know that this show is rooted in science and it always will be and it always is. So when we talk about something like adverse childhood experiences, there are a number of things that can adversely affect your health because of ACEs. And this is all rooted in science. So ACE is the scientific name for 10 factors of toxic stress that one would experience um, really bad things, so to speak, as their children and growing up, and that ultimately can impact us for our entire lives. So for example, if one were to have more than four of these categories of childhood exposure, then they would have 
12 times, up to 12 times the increased health risk for alcoholism, drug abuse, depression, suicide attempt. They'd have two to four fold increase in likelihood in smoking, poor self-rated health, a higher likelihood of an increased number of sexual partners and subsequent sexually transmitted diseases, and a 1.4 to 1.6 fold increase in physical inactivity or lethargy and those kinds of things. And ultimately what we see is that as those grade a relationship upward, then we can find a direct link to adult diseases like heart disease, cancer, chronic lung disease, skeletal fractures, liver disease. So as you hear about these emotional things that we're going to talk about and and what they're rooted in, remember that these are directly impacting physical health, especially later in life, and it can really compound over time. So we already know that we recognize stress as the greatest impact on our overall health and these ACE add stressors without necessarily a means for the young people experiencing them to have healthy coping skills. And that's one of the things that I'm kind of an advocate for and I'm sure we'll talk about today because, you know, if you develop maladaptive behavior, which leads to isolation, self-harm, binge eating, these are the kinds of things that then will increase the likelihood of the bad stuff happening versus, you know, getting support, getting help, and hopefully preventing tragic things from happening. So I want to encourage you listeners to take the numberstory.org quiz. Myself and Matt have both taken it and had a great conversation together about what our numbers are and why and kind of how we can support each other in that. And I think it's important, not just for your own well-being, but also to kind of learn more about the people that you are interacting with and understanding kind of what their background might be and how we can all support each other to become better versions of ourselves as always. But Sarah, I'm, I'm curious kind of if you can share a little bit about not just your background, but also the overall work that you do at the ACE Resource Network, and maybe a little bit about what you've seen over the past couple of years. Have you found that it has increased in in terms of awareness with adverse childhood events being more recognized in social constructs? I absolutely believe awareness is increasing because I think there are so many people like yourself, who a couple years ago said, why is this not more widely known? This is a question I asked myself about 15 years ago when I first learned about the ACEs study. It's a question that many people on my team have asked that have brought them to this work. So I, I love hearing people's stories of how they learned about this landmark Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, and Kaiser Permanente study that was conducted in the mid-1990s, because as people learn about it, and I love I love hearing that you talked about it with Matt, and I think it's a great thing to do with our partners and our loved ones. It can really, like you said, help us understand ourselves better, be our best selves, and also support the people that we love. And I think over the last couple of years, there has been, there, 
I think there's certainly increased awareness and there's more, I'm, I'm happy to say that I think there's more openness to discussing things like childhood adversity and trauma and mental illness. And I were seeing, you know, I think a reduction in the stigma that has been associated with childhood trauma for so very long. And I think that's critically important because if we don't talk about it, if we don't understand how many people, how many adults it's impacted, how many children, how many millions of children are experiencing trauma. And if we don't understand how it can impact children for their entire lives, then we can't do all the things that science tells us that we can do to prevent ACEs or childhood trauma, and then do all the things that we know we can do to support children and families who've experienced it. So I think talking about it, learning about it, this increased awareness will translate into so many things that will be better for our children and our families. And all, the last thing I'll say on that is in fall 2019, so prior to the pandemic, my team and I at the ACE Resource Network, we conducted a national poll that was representative of U.S. adults because we we had this question too, how many adults know about ACEs or understand how common they are and how they're associated with over 40 health conditions and many more things? And in fall 2019, about 20%, so one in five of U.S. adults had at least a basic understanding of it. And our mission at the ACE Resource Network is to increase that. So, that, so the majority of people in this country and beyond understand understand the impact of childhood adversities. We think it's one of our biggest public health challenges. And without awareness, we can't do all the other things that we know we need to do for ourselves, for our families, for our communities to prevent and support kids and families. Yeah, I really appreciate the work you all are doing. And I agree that there has been an increase, not just, you know, that I don't think it's just my circle of network from a foster perspective. I'm also seeing it in the health and wellness community in terms of things like how difficult it would be to intuitively eat if you don't inherently trust your body and can't because of a high A score or something like that. So when I hear people start to bring that into conversation in different aspects of my life, I'm like, oh, it's spreading in a good way. <laughs> like We need to get this information out. So I also love that you referenced the original study that was done. I obviously listeners have put a link to it in the show notes, but I want to kind of like walk through that a little bit to give a high level science for our listeners. So it was a, it was a huge study. It was not a, a small by any means. And it looked at the impacts of ultimately that 1997 study looked at 10 types of stressful or traumatic events that fell into categories of either abuse, being physical, emotional, or sexual, neglect, either physical or emotional, and then household challenges. So living with someone with a mental illness, witnessing domestic violence, a household member with substance abuse, an incarcerated household member, or a divorce or separation of parents. And in the study, there were at least one-fourth that reported greater than two categories, at, at least or greater than two categories of childhood exposure. And when you look at those numbers increase, then the relationship of all the kind of adult risks increase as well in 
including diseases that I mentioned earlier. We're also looking at things like emotional struggles. I mentioned earlier, higher likelihood of self-harm and suicidality. Also, disordered eating is much more likely. We have also autoimmune diseases that are specifically linked. And we can also know that if we have an autoimmune disease and a high ACE score, then we have exposed our body to a lot of different types of stress. So generally, all of this compounds creating physical and emotional trauma that if we don't address and kind of work through the trauma that these adverse childhood events cause, then it carries forward into subsequent generations and compounds into what we call generational trauma, which I have experienced in the foster care system and different parts of my life and is much more difficult to kind of navigate. What I found interesting and you know I I want to share with our listeners is that Matt and I both coming from very loving homes both both of us with you know very privileged lives both had a scores that were not low and at least two out of three of us have at least one a score so when we talk about a scores. One of the things that Sarah, I definitely want to encourage our listeners to understand is that this is not just, you know, someone who has been through the foster care system or someone who's, you know, has a family member that's incarcerated. While that's an item on the list, there are a lot of different kinds of neglect or emotional abuse or even something like divorce or separation of parents. You know, Matt and I both had that and I wholeheartedly support that my parents divorced. I don't want my parents to be living miserably together. And, you know, that's a whole other set of kind of trauma to witness, right, is is unhappy people around you and, and their behavior. And yet, at the same time, that is a sort of trauma that creates a personality type for myself. It created like a controlling instinct, right? And I was a, wanted everybody to be happy and thought if I just, if I'm perfect enough, if I try to control enough things, if I do all these things, then the world around me can be a little more in my control and, and won't spiral into chaos as I had obviously felt as a toddler when my parents divorced and separated. So I I think about those things, not from the perspective of, you know, that we need to have guilt or shame or that, oh, that's not me or my family. I think it's really important for us all to kind of be open to the idea of even if we lived, you know, a wonderful privileged life with supportive parents, we can still have experiences that would contribute to this, right? Like it might have been an inappropriate behavior that you experienced from someone in a school environment that, you know, is a trigger, a trauma, and that sticks with you. So I guess one of the things that would be really helpful is, Sarah, if you can kind of give us a uh, an overview, so to speak, of what you see in the common population from what they evaluate and kind of what to expect at Number Story as they go through this process? Yeah, I'm happy to share. And and what I'll say is I, I know a little bit about sort of that, that people-pleasing, can I make everyone happy because that makes me feel safer behavior. And I think that's that's common, that can be common among 
adults who grew up in environments that may not have been st safe or stable or predictable. And so I think that's a really common experience. And it's one that, that I definitely recognize in myself as an adult and think that learning about ACEs has helped me, you know, make shifts in how I respond to the world as an adult. So I just wanted to share that and appreciate you sharing that. I think what I want to start with is to to really share how in one of the ways it, this study the aces study was was novel for for so many people and and you named it that aces are incredibly common previous studies had focused on childhood trauma and childhood adversity in very specific populations and we know that certain populations are at higher risk for childhood trauma and ACEs and children who've experienced have been in the foster care system generally have a higher higher incidence of ACEs and other childhood trauma. That's true. But what this study found, and I'll give just a brief background on the study because I think it, it illustrates this point really well. The study asked about 17,000 adults who had health insurance and were receiving health care at Kaiser Permanente in San Diego. And it and these these 17,000 adults were mostly middle and upper class. They were mostly college educated. They were mostly white, all with access to health insurance, which in particularly in the mid 1990s wasn't wasn't true. And it's among this group that had is where they found that about two out of three of these 17,000 adults had at least one adverse childhood experience. And so it really illuminated for the health and medical field and then fortunately beyond as, as awareness has increased of this study and all the you know subsequent studies that that ACEs are common and that it affects all of us. It cuts across socio, you know, different socioeconomic status, different communities, different cultural backgrounds. This is something that all of us experience in different ways. And yes, there are cultural nuances and there are differences. And some groups experience a higher burden of ACEs compared to others. And, and I want to talk about that. But I think your point that this is something that, that really affects all of us, not just as individuals, but our communities and our society as a whole is really important. And so that's what spurred such incredible additional research to say, hey, if this impacts so many of so millions of kids and millions of us adults walking around, how can we provide better health care knowing that ACEs are associated with over 40 health conditions, really common ones, heart disease, stroke, cancer, ADHD, depression, anxiety, you've already named suicidality, some of our most pressing health challenges of the time. And not only does it affect our health, it I want to talk specifically about how it can affect children and their ability to learn. Children with four or more ACEs are about 32 times more likely to experience learning and behavioral problems. And so I think when you think about that and you think about the school context and you think about how do we support, you know, academic 
and social emotional success in the classroom and realize that children with four or more ACEs have so many more challenges than students who don't have those experiences. And this can look like trouble concentrating in class, lack of school engagement, not completing homework, school failure and non-completion, learning disabilities, impaired executive and relational functioning, and the increased need for special education. And what can often happen is in, in school classrooms and other settings that kids who are experiencing ACEs or childhood trauma can be, you know, labeled or misdiagnosed and not given the supports that they need to succeed. So awareness of ACEs and being able to recognize the signs to be able to intervene and support children is, I think, one of the most critical, critical things that we can do. And numberstory.org which is our platform, which is also available in Spanish, can give you that overview that help you understand the basic science of ACEs and toxic stress, how that can lead to health challenges in the short and long term, learning and educational challenges, challenges in relationships and family, challenges in the workplace as adults. It, it can be really far-reaching. But like I said at the outset, what... There's, I think there's so much opportunity for hope and healing when you learn a little bit about the science of ACEs, because there's so many things that we can do for children who've experienced it. There's so many things we can do to prevent childhood adversity. There's things we can, for the next generation, and there's things that we can do in our communities. And so at numberstory.org, you'll find what can I do for myself if, you know, I've experienced ACEs or other childhood adversity? What, how can I may be experiencing some health impacts associated with it? Why are things like movement, like sleep, like healthy relationships, social connection, so critically important per for all of us, but particularly if we've experienced ACEs and toxic stress. It also, you'll also find on numberstory.org, how can I help my kids? And for many of us who've experienced ACEs, there's a good chance that, that our kids have also experienced ACEs. So how can we parent differently learning about ACEs. One of my favorite things to see is talking to parents who said, I had no idea how this, my early experiences impacted me. And I, I'm so grateful and excited to have learned about this because I can parent and I can show up differently. One of the ways we've tried to support parents and caregivers of the littlest ones of, of kids under five is that we partnered with the American Society for the Positive Care of Children to develop a toolkit for, for parents, which has free resources aimed at breaking generational cycles of trauma from your child's earliest years. So it, it provides information about ACEs, and then it provides information from the American Society of the Positive Care of Children on positive parenting and how we can learn how critically important it is as a parent to be able to regulate ourselves, how to co-regulate with our child. And so that type of work and that those types of resources, like building resilience in your child, are available at numberstory.org. And then we also talk about what can you do for your community. And there's lots of different ways that you can 
to, to support kids, families, and people in your communities. And I think you'll also find hopefully some inspiration on numberstory.org. We, we share stories about people and their, their journeys and what, where they found hope and where they've found healing. And we think that's also a critical component of all this. It's, it's talking to your partner. It's talking to a trusted friend. It's sharing this information having a conversation with, you know, someone who, you know, works with, with children or young people. I, I think if, if all of us, had just a little bit better understanding of how childhood adversity and trauma and violence, right? We're really talking, a lot of times talking about violence can impact our societies. We would be doing a lot more to prevent it. Public service announcement. Beauty Counter's rare site-wide sale is happening now through September 25th, 2022. Get up to 25% off site-wide, plus choose me, Stacey Toth, and the charity of your choice at checkout, and I will donate a portion of the proceeds. As the weather changes, so does the need to modify your skincare. This is a great way to freshen up for fall. Grab a Mulberry Beyond Gloss Lip Gloss, a Plum Sheer Genius Lip Shear, and upgrade your skincare to nourishing, hydrating ingredients like Counter Time, Cleansing Balm, and the All Bright Brightening Facial Oil. Episode 431 has more on the science of what nutrients and products are best for colder seasons, but if you need help navigating your own unique skin needs, I'd love to help. Email stacy at realeverything.com. When you choose to shop with me, you're supporting my woman-owned small business and voting with your wallet by choosing a certified B Corp whose mission is to get safer products into the hands of everyone through health protective laws and you get site-wide savings for everyone, not just a first-time purchase. Go to beautycounter.com slash Toth, just like any other website. Choose me, S-T-A-C-Y-T-O-T-H, at checkout. This podcast is brought to you by Ava Jane's Kitchen, Kalima Sea Salt. Truly and honestly, the best salt I have ever tasted. And they're offering you listeners your first bag free. You'll recall from episode five earlier this season that I confessed my adoration for briny flavors and have very high standards. When Kalima reached out, I was skeptical, but loved that it was harvested from Kalima salt flats in Mexico, supporting the local salineros and free of ocean-borne plastics. Did you know a National Geographic study found that 90% of the table salt in our food is laced with tiny pieces of plastic garbage? Microplastics from ocean trash. So I gave it a try. And let me tell you, when it arrived and I put my finger in to taste test, I was shockingly surprised with how amazingly flavorful it was. Imagine a kosher salt texture with the vibrant, minerally flavors of sea salt. I have since started referring to it as my special salt, and I keep a bag on my desk to flavor my lunches, I have one at the dining table, and I filled a cellar in the kitchen for cooking and baking. 
The salt is delicious, super crunchy, and equally as fantastic as finishing salt for steak as it is great in cookies. The umami is so good, y'all, and I really hope you'll try this. It's one of those underground finds that I know is going to catch on, and I don't want you to miss out before their annual limited batch is gone. So listeners, get your first bag for free from wholeviewsalt.com. You don't need a code, just visit wholeviewsalt.com to redeem your free bag of Kalima sea salt. I think it's a great reminder too for people who are caretakers in some sort of way of other people's children, right? Like not just Mm -hmm. as parents, but I know we have teachers and healthcare providers and different care providers who are listeners and being informed of this and being able to use a free resource like numberstory.org to educate and to learn is, you know, an incredible tool for a lot of people who I think would benefit greatly from not just learning for themselves, but also then, like you talked about, applying to our children with regulation and stuff like that. I know for me, I didn't learn how to do that as a parent with my own children. I did not realize how much I would get dysregulated with them and becoming a foster parent and doing the training and learning about these things has made me a better parent to my own children because like just this week my instinct was to kind of like get escalated and get heated and yell and instead it was like no what this child needs is love right now. The reason that they're acting like this is because they're afraid and they need me to regulate and to be calm and to be supportive and to just tell them that they're loved in this moment, which was like the opposite of where my instincts, either from, you know, how I had been raised or how I had parented myself for, you know, earlier years was like, now I'm a parent and I said this and you do this. Like that just is not working with my teenagers anymore and is not helping them feel their best. And so I think that there's a lot of different aspects, whether it's from the ACEs perspective or not, that kind of applies on a universal basis. And the more that we can be aware of that, especially to These children who have, I mean, I just want to repeat, you said a 32% increase in likelihood of having learning or processing disorders, which I have seen through the foster care system. And all of the children that have been in my care did not have special education services before they entered foster care. And that means that those children were sitting in classrooms experiencing ACEs and having that increased risk and not getting the learning support that they needed. And clearly there was a deficit to all of their ability to learn. And there's an increased risk of, you know, Uh, not graduating high school. And I think it's like 3% of children who age out of a foster care system go to college. And we can point to this being a really great example of that, right? If they don't have a teacher who kind of understands what they're going through and can teach to their needs and help them get the support that they need, that, that becomes impossible for them to succeed. 
Exactly. There are so many barriers, you know, structural barriers, biological, potential biological barriers to really allowing that child to live their, you know, to thrive and live their best life. And I want to call it a few more resources because there is so much opportunity for educators for health and healthcare providers to intervene. And we have some resources for both healthcare providers and educators on numberstory.org. But there's another great resource that if, if there's an educator, healthcare provider, someone in the criminal justice system, social services, if you're an early care and education provider, there's a great resource through the California Surgeon General's office. It's called the Roadmap to Resilience, and it's how we can prevent and intervene to support children who's, who've experienced ACEs in those different settings. And that report and that work was spearheaded by our lead advisor here at the ACE Resource Network, Dr. Nadine Burke-Harris, who was California's first Surgeon General. And I had the pleasure and privilege to sit in on a conversation that Dr. Burke-Harris had with Oprah Winfrey about ACEs, particularly in an education setting. And what Dr. Burke-Harris said and said to educators when we launched our campaign last year was, educators, you are the antidote. You have an opportunity in the classroom to provide supports to children. And I want to, I want to recognize that while there is this great opportunity for educators and teachers like Dr. Burkara shares, there's also teachers and educators have experienced an incredible amount of challenges through this pandemic. And I know are experiencing burnout and fatigue, and we ask a lot about our educators. So I I want to, to name that, but also share that there are resources that can support educators and administrators and people in the criminal justice setting and early care and all these different places where we can support kids. I'd also say another other areas and that where I've seen some really exciting work being done is in, you know, mentorship programs. It's so critically important for kids to have a, a safe, you know, sort of stable relationship with a caring adult figure. So people who are doing mentorship are learning about ACEs. Coaches are incredible influences on young people's lives and coaches are learning about ACEs. And so the more we know here, the better we can support children and prevent harm to them which is really, really our goal. I think it's a, a great point to mention how the pandemic plays into this, right? Like we're talking about the burnout that we all feel and especially for educators and healthcare providers and some of the other essential workers who have just been <laughs> going at both ends for a really long time. Um, because I was looking at the list of other experiences that have similar impacts to ACEs, and one of them on there was surviving a natural disaster. And I think, you know, if we kind of thought about that from the perspective of we have all gone through for the first time collectively as a society in the modern world going through this disaster together, right? Like, never has there ever been a time in which we all quarantined in our homes. And, you know, my husband is a postal carrier and was going out and doing the work and, you know, all that kind of stuff that comes into play. And I think if we consider ourselves from the perspective of what we've been through and then broaden the scope to 
other similar experiences that also have the similar results to ACEs. Sarah, you mentioned like ongoing studies and again, I'll, you know, all of these links are in the show notes, but there's so many other childhood adversity specifically beyond just the 10 ACEs that are included in studies that have shown to have those similar impacts long-term in life. Things like discrimination based on race or ethnicity or gender identity and sexual orientation, religion, or if someone has learning differences or disabilities, as we discussed, and how that leads to all of those things. I think we've mentioned and discussed here on the show a lot. There's so many other things like poverty and the impacts of that, systemic and institutional racism, violence, even if not in the home, right? Like getting bullied and experiencing violence yourself or seeing others get hurt in your personal community, which needs to feel like a safe space for us all, right? So someone in your neighborhood or school, if you're witnessing violence from that perspective can be scary. And we talked about intergenerational trauma, we also need to talk about what that looks like from a cultural trauma perspective in displacement or genocide of people, whether it be indigenous people, or if you are someone whose family has a history with the Holocaust, separation from a parent or caregiver, not just from divorce, but from immigration or from foster care. There are so many things in life that I think when we kind of open our eyes to, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I've had a hard life or, you know, I think culturally we also say things like, and you're so tough, you can survive that. You have survived that rather than a lot of the things that I've learned since doing more around this is kind of understanding what my responsibility as a caregiver is to to validate, to listen, to have empathy, and to make necessary accommodations for people who have experienced this. And I think in our family, I wish I had known this and been more educated myself when my husband's brother died. And he actually lived with us for 14 years. He was like a second father to the children. And he died at a young age. And we did not handle it the way I would handle it today. And I, I speak carefully without regret because I don't think that does me any good. And all I can do now is kind of, I know better, I'm going to do better. But I think it gives perspective to me on how important this is to learn both from a proactive perspective, as well as, you know, being able to react to people who come into your life. Because had I known about this before, our brother died, it would have been an entirely different approach to how we supported the children and understanding the impact that this could have as being such an adverse experience at a young age and ensuring that we were getting support just beyond kind of like, you know, talking to them or hugging them or, you know, different kinds of things. I think there's a lot that I realize now in terms of maladaptive behaviors that were formed because we didn't do things like, you know, DBT or CBT or different kinds of things that I'm now much more aware of and can be supportive in that environment. And I know, Sarah, you talked about, you you use the word toxic stress a couple of times beyond just kind of the, uh, the things that I've mentioned and on number story, 
org. There's also information about beyond the 10 ACEs. But I'm wondering if you can kind of specify what you mean by toxic stress and how we see that show up in people's lives. Yeah, I'm happy to talk a little bit more about toxic stress, but just first want to say I'm I am sorry for the loss in your family and I, you know, ad- admire your reflection on it and I think what I see with a lot of people when they when they learn about ACEs or they learn about they realize something that they experienced as a kid in terms of how they parent they were parented doesn't work or doesn't help, you know, it's it's you know when we we know better we can do better and i think there's a lot of people who when they learn about aces sometimes can experience you know i think grief or shame or anger but what ultimately i find for most people is they 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 move through their understanding and they reach out to people that they love is really sort of like you just said, you know, when, when you, the more you learn, the better we can do. And what I think is so hopeful and promising is really around toxic stress and how well children and well, children are developing. There's these really sensitive periods of develop of development, right? Sensitive periods where their bodies and their brains are changing in incredible ways, and so and and the and little ones' brains and bodies develop in response to their experiences. So, if a child, if a if a six year old is experiencing trauma in the home, if they're experiencing violence in the neighborhood, if they're experiencing bullying in a school setting, their their brains and bodies are developing in response to those experiences. But at the same time, children's brains and bodies also are developing in response to their positive experiences. And so having those safe, caring adult relationships, those positive activities for children to be being able to talk about their feelings and co-regulate with the adults that support them in their lives can also balance some of those adversities that many of our children will experience. And so what we, what we hope for children is that when their experience, they're growing up and they're in these sensitive periods of development that they have, you know, sort of more positive and supportive experiences than the adverse ones. And if they have, if they experience ACEs, and especially if they're repeated or they're particularly severe, it can activate their biological stress response. And it can make the biological stress response more sensitive, or it can make it more overactive. And so what that can mean is that there can be high levels of cortisol or adrenaline or other stress hormones that impact how their brains and bodies function. And that's what I want to stress. There's a lot of people think about ACEs and just think about behaviors or coping skills. And certainly ACEs are associated with coping skills that sometimes actually help us and protect us in the moment, but can potentially harm us over the long run. But it can also, ACEs and toxic stress, and I think this is one of the most important points, can also impact how we 
how we function biologically. And there's lots of studies that have illustrated the impact of early adversity, stress, and violence on developing brains and bodies about how you were talking about, you mentioned intergenerational trauma and mentioned the Holocaust. There's there's a lot of studies. I encourage people to check them out if they're interested in better understanding it or a family member or loved one experienced the Holocaust of how people who started the Holocaust, how their sort of our biological passed down sort of little bits of trauma through those experiences. There was a great article that was just published in Scientific American in July that was titled something like how parents' trauma can be passed down biologically. And so when we're talking about the toxic stress response, which a lot of healthcare professionals understand and talk about, that's what they mean is that the there can be an overactive stress response system that can tax your body. So think about your, you know, fight or flight response. So if a if a child has been in unsafe environments, threatening environments, they may react to protect themselves, right? And actually probably a, a logical way in that moment. They may fight, right? They may need their body to to rev up and support them in that moment. And the problem with ACEs and toxic stress is if that child isn't able to, you know, if that if that stress is is constant and don't have those caring adult buffers to help them regulate, that as an adult, they may be sort of overactive in that that fight response, which has implications for heart health and and many other things. So I think to put it simply is that the toxic stress response is when a child or a young person, the toxic stress response develops when a child or a young person experiences that sort of severe, chronic, constant stress that isn't buffered by caring adults, which can make all the difference and positive activity. So just because someone experiences a lot of ACEs doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to experience negative health outcomes or negative educational outcomes or learning challenges. That's what is, I think, the, I led with, I think there's, there's, there's hope when we think about that, because just as, you know, our brains and bodies can develop differently as young people, the same is true is that as we grow and we learn, we can also adopt healthy coping mechanisms that can help us regulate and improve, you know, improve our health and quality of our lives. Yeah, I I totally agree that that is where I hope the awareness and research goes, right, is not just that it's a given that the negative will happen, but that if we can learn to support and provide better resources to those who have experienced ACEs, that the outcome will be better, hopefully. I think what really interested me was I found the follow-up study from 2012 that looked originally and revisited the study in 2005. So I think it took them like seven seven years to kind of follow up and, and do all this additional research. And what they found was when looking at the total number of ACEs as a measure of the cumulative childhood stress for hospitalizations for 
any of 21 selected autoimmune diseases. So we have a lot of listeners that have autoimmune diseases. I know I have several and put them into four immunopathology groupings. There were 64% reported that they had at least one ACE. So that's that's about the same number as two out of three in the original study had reported one ACE. But what was interesting is that when you compared it with persons with no ACEs or persons with equal to or greater than two ACEs, we found that in the study, people were at a 70% higher likelihood for hospitalizations. So, um, and what fascinated me was a hundred percent increased risk for rheumatic diseases. So when I think about those listeners who have autoimmune in their lives and oftentimes, you know, those are linked to genetic, we could also be thinking about this in terms of generational trauma and how this is being passed down and what we can do both for ourselves and for future generations to decrease the likelihood of diagnosed autoimmune diseases and hospitalizations because it is a biological mechanism, as you said, not just emotional that is affecting our bodies. And one of the things that I've been trying to do on the show is really educate how these things are not separate, right? Our heart does not beat without our brain. Our our bodies are intertwined, emotional and physical completely. Absolutely. And I, I think what's, you know, what's difficult is that it's, it sounds like this nebulous thing, right? We say stress and it's just like, oh, that's the thing or you know, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm stressed, but, you know, I need to focus on my cholesterol, not realizing that, like, some of these things are clearly scientifically supported to be so intertwined. And I'm wondering, you know, how we can help people better understand this. And I know that's part of the work that you're doing at the ACE Resource Network and at Number Story, but any t- any tips or words of wisdom here to kind of just get this to be better understood? This podcast is brought to you by Dame Products. If you're looking to practice self-care and improve health mentally and physically, it's important to know that pleasure is good for us. Whether you're by yourself or with a partner, it can improve the quality of your sleep, help you de-stress, relieve pain, even give you that lit from within glow as you go about your day. But most importantly, exploring your pleasure on your own helps you get in touch with yourself and learn more about what you like. We have used Dame products for years. They're long-lasting, high-performance quality products. The dog even mistook my air as his toy, and it survived without a single scratch. The air is a suction-powerful arousal tool. Dame's air creates thrilling pulses of air and a soft seal. Not only is it perfect for beginners, it's also waterproof and features five intensities and five vibration patterns, so you can explore what works for you. Whether for yourself or maybe you want to empower a loved one, gifting the air is a great place to start. But if it's not right for you, Dame has so many high quality options and offers hassle-free returns within 60 days. So your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. While on the site, I highly recommend checking out the oil, which passes my clean test. It is by far the best clean ingredient lube that doesn't dry out or get weird with use. So power up your pleasure with air or any of the other toys from Dame Products. Go to dameproducts.com and use code WHOLEVIEW today for 15% off site-wide. That's WHOLEVIEW to take 15% off your first order at dameproducts.com. 
This podcast is sponsored by Shopify. That sound makes me smile. As a consumer, I love the ease of using Shopify, which has thousands of integration and third-party apps from on-demand printing to accounting to advanced chatbots and beyond. Shopify supports small business entrepreneurs with resources once reserved for big businesses, allowing you to discover endless possibility. Shopify is tirelessly reinventing tools of growth for millions of businesses, helping them succeed every day. Discover inspiration. Shopify believes in liberating commerce for all because entrepreneurship has the power to drive communities forward and commerce can be a force for good. Could not agree anymore. And you can discover your possible. Shopify unlocks the opportunity of your business to more people every day. Every 28 seconds, an entrepreneur, maybe like you, makes their very first sale on Shopify. I love that Shopify supports all businesses, allowing a journey of endless possibility and accepts all major payments. Go to shopify.com slash whole view, all lowercase, to start your free trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash whole view right now. That's shopify.com slash whole view. Yeah, I think there's lots of ways that we can continue to increase awareness of the health impacts. And one of the ways that we're doing that through the ACE Resource Network is with the launch of the first national public awareness and education campaign on ACEs, Hope and Healing. And that's called The Story of Your Number. And we've mentioned it, numberstory.org. You can also follow us at my number story on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And through this campaign, we have over the last year had more than two billion two billion impressions and had over more than ten tens of millions of people learn about ACEs through people like Oprah Winfrey, like Camila Cabello, like Lady Gaga like John Legend, with our healthcare partners, with our education partners, with our criminal justice partners, this is something that impacts us in nearly every facet of our society. And so we believe it's really through storytelling that we can reach people, particularly people who've experienced a lot of childhood adversity that opportunity that when we share our stories, we can we can learn a little bit from someone. So we've really taken that approach. At the same time, we know that that's not enough. We need to create more opportunities for children to grow up in safe, stable environments. And we we know that that's not true for millions of children. And we, you named this previously, those who experience poverty, those who experience racism and discrimination based on their identities. And these type of things can have the same or similar impacts as ACEs. And so that's why it's really important that we also take a policy approach along with the cultural shift that we're looking for. And I'm particularly proud of a new initiative that we're sponsoring called Pathways to Resilience, which is a national initiative to increase the number of trauma-responsive 
policies and programs in states. We're working with our spouses across the country. It's a bipartisan initiative who all recognize the impact of ACEs in their states and recognize that we need evidence-based trauma-informed programs and policies. So along with all of us learning about it for ourselves and our children and our families and sharing and talking about it and learning, we also need programs and policies that recognize that many of us experience trauma and there are different, more effective ways to respond than many of our systems have historically. So those are two major ways that we're working to increase awareness. And I'm also proud of some work that we're beginning in Northern California to really focus in a specific community to, to raise awareness and to invest in community supports that build resiliency and support healing. So just like we, we hope with Pathways to Resilience at a state level, we're working in this specific community and targeting groups that have experienced more childhood trauma and, and providing those supports and resources that should have been in these communities, you know, decades ago, but there's been disinvestment due to racism and other forms of oppression. So we're working at the local, state, and national level. And I thank you for the opportunity to share here today with your listeners and and hope you and others will continue to share as you think about, you know, these critical health issues and other issues that affect our everyday lives. Yeah, of course, absolutely. And I appreciate you being here and sharing about it because the more that I've learned over the past couple of years, the more I realized there was a huge chunk of the component of my health journey missing in not understanding the emotional impacts that have on our physical health. So I think it's it's so important. And I know if I've learned it, there are others who you know, want to be informed or want to learn more about it. And all the different campaigns and awarenesses that you're working on are fantastic. I always like to leave listeners with actionable steps that they can take to have an impact on their own well-being and within their community. So other than starting at numberstory.org, I would love to know what other actions that we as individuals can take to educate, connect, and provide hope for the future. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to like lead with one because I, I want to hear your other ones. But what I heard you say is with this Pathways to Resilience campaign, because it is a bipartisan effort that you're working with individual states, we could reach out to our legislators and ask them to support trauma-informed community efforts and to work with you all on this campaign and bringing it into their state. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And there's a a great resource called PACES Connection that if you want to learn more about what's happening in your particular state, there's a lot of good information from a, a state perspective there as well, along with Pathways to Resilience. And I think that's an incredibly important and powerful step that people can take to contact their policymaker. I would say one of one of the most powerful things that we can do is to be a positive influence for children. And so whether we, whether you have children or not, if there is a young person in your life that you can provide, you know, to show up for them, to show up for them really makes an incredible difference in terms of 
their lives. There are there are hundreds of studies that have repeatedly shown the power of one positive caring adult in a child's life. So if that's something that you have space for in your life, it's one of the most powerful things that we can do is to show up and be in relationship with young people. So that's something that I think everyone can do, again, whether you're a parent or you're not. And then the the other thing I think that I found most powerful like you shared, there was sort of this gap in your your health journey and understanding it is sharing this information with someone that you think it might resonate with, someone that maybe has struggled with their health or has unexplained pain or can't seem to get the right diagnosis. It, learn, learning about ACEs can really shift things for people who've experienced childhood adversity and help them get better care, have more effective treatments. And I think like so many of us know, our health is one of the most important things that we have. And so I really think sharing this information with someone who could use it can can really be life-changing. Yeah, that's such a great point. And I know for me, you talked about cortisol dysregulation earlier, that was absolutely something I was experiencing. And while I did things to physically change that in terms of I quit all caffeine, then started sleeping more and those kinds of things, it it was also definitely a need for me to calm my nervous system in terms of like addressing these these kinds of things that you're talking about, understanding and regulating my own system, recognizing when I was escalating and that I didn't need to, it wasn't bringing any value to my life. And that's a really difficult thing to do. And I think that's the other thing that I kind of want to remind listeners is that it is much harder to do some of the work that we're talking about and to bring that into, especially communities. For example, if we're talking about a, a poverty community experiencing violence or discrimination to then say, okay, we're going to work on your mental well-being. Well, if their fight or flight response is so high because they're worried about their life, they when they walk to the bus stop, they're worried that they're going to get shot or they're worried that they can't pay their bills and feed their feed their family, it is not work that can be done. We cannot focus on like that Maslow's hierarchy at the tip of the triangle in terms of like self-work until we have the safety as a foundation at the bottom. And so I want to remind our listeners that depending on where you are, depending on where the people that you're working with are, like we can just express grace and compassion and understanding that, you know, it might not be something that someone is able to work on at the time. Part of my certification and collaborative problem solving is is learning to understand that like nobody seeks to avoid or be bad. Like it is behavior that they have because that is the best that they can do at the time. And it might feel like they can do better, but they literally lack the skills or the ability to do it for one way or another that we may or may not be aware of. And so I think the more that we can be compassionate to those people and also to ourselves. The other thing that I want to mention is that sometimes as a parent, I might have guilt or shame about oh, I could have or I should have done differently and all these things, like that doesn't bring anything positive either. So, you know, ACEs are not our fault. We didn't have control over when or why they happened, either in our own life or 
likely the inability to control that it happened in somebody else's life. Like I did not have the ability to control that my children experienced their like second father, our brother dying. It can be a single event like that, or it can be an ongoing struggle where safety and security trust, even our own very sense of self in terms of identity is threatened or violated. And so we just need to, it's like that constant compassion that I'm talking about and, and living our life. I truly believe that the people who make it to like 105 and they're like, what's the trick to life? And they're like old people and they're like, I don't care about anything. I'm just living my own life. I think like that's the, that's the mentality I'm really trying to get to in my life because I think the more we stress about all these things and have less compassion and, you know, care for others, I think is where we really bring that physical stress into our life that does link to physical ailments that can kill us sooner. So I just remind myself all the time, I'm like, do you want to live longer or do you want to worry about this right now? And that's really difficult to do. And I I want to give you like the compassion and the hug right now and whatever you might be feeling like about your own experiences or experiences that you feel responsible for, like to let go of that, just to, to take a deep breath and to say goodbye to it because that doesn't help anything. And all the resources that we've talked about today, nothing is related back to self-shame or self-guilt. None of that is included in what we've talked about. So if you can, you know, take some deep breaths and remind yourself of that. We can control how we react and we respond to things. That is the thing that we can control. We can't control the thing itself that's happening. So that's where therapy and medical professionals become so important. That's where all of these resources, Sarah, that you've shared with us today become incredibly important in terms of being able to support ourselves and others and being able to have that compassion and grace and and letting go of some of the shame because I know for me that was key in terms of letting go of my perfectionism, my control, my people pleasing. I had to learn to just accept that like I wasn't going to ever be able to make everybody happy and so I needed to focus on making myself and the people that I really loved and cared about in my life happy within the confounds of our relationship in a healthy relationship. Like that was the best that I can do. And that is difficult and doesn't happen overnight. There's not a pill you can take for that, unfortunately. So Sarah, is there anything that I, that I missed that you wanted to kind of add as we wrap up? I love how you said it. I've seen so many people express how understanding of ACEs can bring compassion and, and empathy into their lives. And, and like you said, there's not a pill, but I think it's, it's one of the most powerful shifts that we can have in our lives. And along with compassion and empathy, what I'd love to emphasize that you shared along with that is recognizing that the, the policies and programs and the disinvestments in certain communities that make kids experience more violence and more trauma need to be addressed at a community level. Because like you said, if a child is living in a threatening environment for whatever reason, they, they don't have as good a shot right, as, as other kids who, who don't have that experience. So as we understand the science, compassion and empathy also needs to translate into how we fund our schools and support children and communities across the country. 
So that's all that I'd like to add. And again, thank you so much for the opportunity to share today. Of course. And listeners, we'll be sharing what we really thought over on patreon.com slash the whole view. It is the best place to ask questions as well. If you love the show that we create and produce ourselves, the Patreon is a great way to support the show. But so is leaving a review and hitting that follow or subscribe button, which doesn't cost you even a penny. And when you do that in whatever podcast app you're listening, it helps others find us as well. And I would love if, like Sarah mentioned, if you think of someone when you were listening to the show and someone came to mind and you're like, gosh, I really think that they would love this information, send them the link to the show and just tell them, I thought of you listening to this. I would appreciate it so much. And it helps us as a community get the word out in terms of education and reaching others. If you would like to learn more, definitely go to numberstory.org and aceresourcenetwork.com and you can follow num- my number story on Instagram and of course the Ace Resource Network is also on LinkedIn such the social handle I always forget exists but is a great place for those who do this professionally to access more information and share about it and then I also want to plug not just all the links in the reference section of the show notes for you but Sarah you guys have a couple of toolkits available as well in terms of the caregiver free resources and the governor's spouse's call to state nationwide support that we mentioned. So I will put a link to those in the show notes as well. And listeners, I just want to thank you for tuning in today. We appreciate your willingness to be open to growth, to listen and to learn through your own personal changes. No one is perfect, but in showing up and in doing that and helping yourself maybe unlearn some maladaptive behaviors or things that you know, we just weren't taught when we were younger. I know none of this was was around when I was growing up. I wish it was. We can become better versions of ourselves. So thank you so much for being on this journey with us and being here today. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.